Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Hey, as Alan said, my name is Matt Johnson. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here with you guys today. Uh, If you were here a couple months ago, I got to speak uh, at the end of the F Word series. Uh, We talked about uh, what it looks like to forgive God and the process of getting uh, our belief system in God right so that we can deal with the baggage that we carry. Uh, I'm excited to be here for week five to wrap up this Bridezilla series. And I want to talk to you today about uh, something that Paul addresses near the end of 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians 15, so we're going to dive in there in just a minute. We live in one of the most informational-rich times in the history of the world, possibly ever. There's more information uh, at your fingertips than anyone that has ever lived before has had access to. In the palm of your hand, in a tiny little device, you can access the information for the entire history of the world in one place as you go online. What's interesting to me is that as we look at having access to information, we also live in, in a day and an age where the idea of actually verifying information is at an all-time low. And so we have this weird juxtaposition of a ton of knowledge and very little care about what that knowledge is, where it comes from, or even if it's accurate or believable. And We as Christians are no different than that, right? We live in that space. And so you hear this term regularly tossed around, and and if if you don't know, I'm an equal offender in this, so uh, the, the comments that I'm about to make are on both sides, okay? The term false news gets thrown around, and some of you hear that term, and immediately you think of Fox News. Some of you hear that, and immediately you think of CNN, And both sides of the aisle propagate, in some ways, this idea of false news, right? Maybe it's the things that you see in your social media feed that you scroll through day after day after day. Some of your thumbs just naturally do this, regardless of what's in your hand, because that's what you're used to. There's websites out there that are called The Onion and Babylon Bee, and they're meant to be satirical, And yet some of the funniness of them hits so close to home that people will share them thinking that they're true. When I face challenges like this, I like to go back to uh, some of our forefathers because what they say is important. And so as I tried to research this and think about it, I love this quote uh, from Abraham Lincoln that's really helpful as we think through this. Don't believe everything you read on the internet just because there's a picture with a quote next to it. And Abraham Lincoln clearly said that, right? <laughs> I mean, if, if Lincoln said it and it's on the internet, it must be true. I don't know about you, I buy it. Like, I, honest Abe, right? I mean, he can't lie. False news... The propagation of inaccurate or invalid truth is at an all-time high in our world. But it doesn't just affect our political beliefs and our 
our social statuses and the things about us. It also affects a lot of the, the things that we believe about Christianity. And so we see things and we share them. And too often we live in a world uh, where, where whether it's viral is more important than whether it's valid, right? And so we don't validate things and we see them and if it looks good, if it feels good, if it seems right, then we'll click share. Let me show you a couple of things that I found on my newsfeed recently of people that click share. Here's the first one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. I am sure that a mother with toddlers wrote that. That is not in scripture, okay? And yet that has become part of the culture of Christianity, right? That's a common saying. Here's another one that was in my newsfeed recently. God helps those who help themselves. Sounds good, right? The American way, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, not scripture, not in the Bible. If God only helped those who helped themselves, we would all be doomed, right? And yet that has infiltrated our theology, which we're gonna talk about. That has infiltrated our belief system in a way that we take in And then it filters through and we begin to change what we believe because we see things like that. And so without getting on like a a soapbox here, we believe things like this that aren't in scripture and we begin to judge people that we deem don't help themselves and believe that God's not gonna be a part of their life because they're not active enough. But that's not even in the Bible. Here's another one that was on my newsfeed recently. God will never give you more than you can handle. I don't know about that. As we've read through 1 Corinthians and we've preached through 1 Corinthians through this Bridezilla series, there's a few chapters back where Paul actually says that God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can resist. But that is very different than this because there are times in my life regularly that I feel overwhelmed to the point of going, God, I can't handle this. But you said you'd never give me more than you can handle. Well, God never said that. We're gonna talk through some things today that are really important as we get into week five of Bridezilla, and we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians. And if you haven't figured this out yet from the last four weeks of Pastor Allen, the church in Corinth is jacked up. It is messed up. It looks a lot like the American church. And so the saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same, is the reality of humanity as we try to figure out what it looks like to live faithfully with God. And so as Paul writes, Pastor Allen has tackled some really challenging topics to this point. He's talked about division. He's talked about pride. He's talked about arrogance. He's talked about immorality. And it's really easy as even I just named those things, to think that he's talking about people outside of the walls of the church, but he's talking about the people inside the walls of the church. I've listened through the first four messages of the Bridezilla series over the last few weeks, and as a total aside, let me just tell you that you guys are blessed to have Pastor Allen with you, and the last four weeks of messages he has preached really challenging topics with intentionality, with honesty, with transparency. And I have learned a lot myself and been challenged significantly as I've listened through those. You have a great pastor who has taught you well 
what the Bible has to say. Don't let him go without understanding that. Make sure that he's aware of your graciousness for his role in your life as a church. We're gonna talk through 1 Corinthians 15 today. The church has some messed up beliefs. And Alan has addressed that in some ways before, but I wanna dive in a little bit more specific to 1 Corinthians 15 today. And the reason is this, is because good theology matters. Good theology matters. If you were with me a couple months ago, we talked about theology, and theology is simply the framework by which you understand what you believe about God and how it impacts the way that you live. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more as we go. Your beliefs about God uh, info, influence and guide the decisions that you make. They guide the way that you live. Theology is systematic. It's intertwined. Theology doesn't exist in a bubble. You make, don't make... Uh, theological concepts uh, separate from one another. It's more like a spider web than a connect the dot, okay? One of the things that I talked about a couple months ago is this, this drive that I have that's kind of one of my personal phrases that I live by, and it's simply this, get God right. If you can get God right, like if you can if you can understand the character and the nature and the heart of God, it will filter in a way that the rest of your beliefs align well. But if you don't understand the character and the nature and the heart of God well, everything else will be off from the top down, okay? So as we dive into this, I wanna, I wanna talk through what it looks like to evaluate theology and evaluate theological ideas, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and they're messed up. And one of the primary reasons that they're messed up is that there are some people among them that have this belief that the resurrection of the dead isn't valid. And Paul hears that and immediately red flags go up for him. And he realizes that that is really, really dangerous in the life of the church. And so he begins to address it. And the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul addressing this issue People inside the church and outside of the church often have that question about, is it, is it really possible that Jesus came back from the dead? Is it really possible that we're expected as Christians to believe that some guy came back from the dead and therefore we're going to come back from the dead? And people in the church, I would love to say that we could give the church of Corinth a past that they're probably just naive, but reading the rest of the book of Corinthians, it makes it hard to give them a pass. There were people among them called false prophets, which would have been the original false news propagators. And whether it was just because they had misinformation or because they intentionally wanted to lead people astray, they were telling the people in the church of Corinth, Jesus didn't really come back from the dead. And Paul addresses that head on. Now, as we talk through this, this challenge that the Corinthian church addressed, it's important to realize that the, the comment, the concept that, that Jesus didn't come back from the dead attacks the very core of what Christianity is and what we say we believe as Christians. 
one of the things that I struggled with as I processed through this and thought about this was, is there an equivalent challenge that the church faces currently that we could talk through as a modern example? And the, the idea that I kept coming back to, I'm going to share it in a minute, but by and large, I realized that while this was a, a really deep wound that attacked the church that Paul needed to address, I think that more often than not, the modern church is attacked by a thousand paper cuts. Little nicks and dings over and over and over again that chip away at the foundation rather than one massive blast that does it all at once. Both are dangerous. Both need to be guarded against. So we're going to talk through this. Uh, One of the few examples that I can think of that I think is worth kind of talking through is that there seems to be within the Christian church now a common idea, a common theology that Jesus' death and therefore his resurrection and uh, his saving grace, at the end of it all, is going to be universal and everybody's going to get to heaven. I hear this regularly, I see this regularly in some denominations and teaching that like, at the end of it all, God's love is going to overwhelm everything and everybody's just going to get in. That's a pretty significant theological turn from what we read in scripture. I would love for that to be true because I have people that I know that I love that have died that didn't know Jesus. And so as much as I want to read my own life into that, I know that that's not true. Let's take a look at at this passage in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. As we process this, I want you to think through a few things, okay? As you hear ideas, viewpoints, concepts, read things on social media, hear them, whatever, whatever. I want you to think about how you evaluate what you actually believe. Paul writes to Corinthians, and he's going to correct some theology here, but but even more than that, I want to take a look at what the framework is that Paul uses to address this. So as we go through the the book of Corinthians, the the 15th chapter here, uh, I'm going to give you three filters for filtering theology and three practical questions to ask, okay? So filter number one is that as Paul is addressing them, filter number one is simply this. It is you have to return to the simplicity of the gospel. As you evaluate new ideas, you have to come back to the simplicity of the gospel. Paul writes this, the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead, and on the third day, raised from the dead on the third day just as scriptures said. So, filter number one, return to the simplicity of the gospel. As you hear things that you question or wonder about or think might be worth evaluating, return to the basics that you already know. And I love that Paul 
Paul does this. Paul doesn't say, in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve. He doesn't say a bunch of other things like God created marriage to be between a man and a wife in a single relationship forever. All of those are true. All of those are in there. But God, Paul gets back to the core of the core of the core. Jesus lived. He died. He came back. If the things that you hear don't line up with the basics of what you know to be true about what saves you, it's probably not true. And so Paul gives this, them this evaluating filter to say, can we get back to the basics of the truth of Jesus and start there? Because if we can't agree there, we're never going to agree on the other things, right? So he pulls that filter all the way back and says, don't overcomplicate it. Simplify it. Does it line up with the very truth of the gospel that I first believed in? And then what do we do with that? And here's the question. Does this align with the foundational truth that I already know? As you see things, as you read things, as you evaluate your belief system, you have to filter those in a way that you decide what is valid and what is not. And the primary validation point, the primary filter, is the simplicity of the gospel that you know to be true. If it passes filter number one, then Paul brings us to filter number two. Filter number two is this. You have to process the ripple effects of my beliefs. He goes on in 1 Corinthians and picking it up in verse 12. He says, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? And then he goes on to ask some hypothetical questions. It's as if he's saying, okay, if you believe that, let's play this out. Let's see where this goes, right? So he says, for if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if there's no, excuse me, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has, has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And so Paul says, filter number two is you have to process the ripple effects. Okay, if I think that this might be true, let's think about what the, what the consequences of believing that are. And so fill in the gap. Think through the implications. If this is true, then what about this, right? And so if Paul is saying, play this out mentally with me. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, then we're lost still. Because we believe in a Savior that didn't overcome death. And if he didn't overcome death, what makes us think that we will? 
If we believe in a Savior whose grave was the final message, then we have no gospel to preach. And we've been lying about God, saying that God did this. So often, we hear something that we want to be true, and we hold on to it, and we adapt it into our belief system without ever realizing the ripple effects that it caused in the things that we say we believe that negates the rest of the truth that we lie on. So this theological challenge that the Corinthian church has that they're saying, well, maybe people don't really come back from the dead strikes at the very core of what we say we believe when we say we believe we follow Jesus. So think through this with me. What is the ripple effect? The the challenge that can happen here is that we can form our theology in boxes. So we have a box about God, and we have a box about Jesus. We have a box about resurrection. We have a box about what we think about marriage. We have a box about how we raise our kids. We have a box about whether we think the Holy Spirit is active. We have a wall full of boxes, and we neatly put them inside of each other, and we stack them on the wall, but we don't allow them to interact. And when your theology doesn't interact, it's wrong, What you believe about Jesus affects what you believe about God, affects what you believe about marriage. It is all intertwined. When we form our theology in boxes, we miss the mark of what God wants us to be and do. Even God himself exists in three forms in a trinity in a way that he himself is not limited to a box, but extends past that in a way that he himself looks like a spider web. He overlaps. So if we want to reflect God well, which is our our call as Christians, right? We can't individualize our beliefs and pick and choose what we think is right without evaluating them against the other things that we also say we believe. So the filtering question is this, what does this change in my belief system? If I tweak this, what does it do to the rest? Because it will have a ripple effect. The the third filter that Paul gives us is that we have to evaluate the implications for our everyday life. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, pick it back up in verse 30. He said, why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you and what value it was there in fighting the wild beast, those people of Ephesus. They actually tried to stone and kill him if there will be no resurrection for the dead. And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. Everything's great. Don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. Man, Paul is pretty harsh with the Corinthians at times. But Paul understands the reality that 
Theology can't be created in a vacuum. It has to exist in everyday life. And so the things that happen up here play out here and with your hands and your feet and the world around you. See, theology is not simply a belief system in your brain. It is the life that you live because of the belief system in your brain. And if the life that you live doesn't line up with the belief system in your brain, it probably means you don't believe what you say you believe. So Paul challenges them with this. The challenge is, can I, can I adjust my life to live this well? So if I'm really gonna say that this is what I believe, can my relationships, my behavior, my choices, the way I spend my time and my money and my energy, can I make those line up with what I say I believe? And if I can't, then maybe what I say I believe isn't great after all. Now, that doesn't mean this stuff's going to be easy. Far from it. You're going to mess up a lot. All of us are. But there comes a point where rubber hits the road, and you have to say, if I believe this, I'm going to have to figure out a way to live it. Right? So the filtering question that Paul has is, how do I live this faithfully? How do you live it faithfully? If you can't, your theology might be off. Now, Paul's pretty blunt with the, the church in Corinth, and I, as just an aside, I can't help but, but highlight this and call this out. Paul says to them, there's some people that say, let's just eat and drink because we're gonna die anyway. And he says, don't hang out with them. Don't spend time with people who corrupt your good character. Some of you, the reason that your theology is off isn't because you believe wrong, it's because you're around the wrong people. And Paul calls that out and just blatantly says, think about it and stop sinning. Knock it off. Like, you know what's right and wrong. Stop putting yourselves around people that influence you to do wrong instead of right. A couple things as we, as we kind of dial this in. I want to give you a little bit of clarity. Here's what good theology will bring in your life. Number one, good theology will bring unity. In the middle of a church of Corinth that is disunified and broken, Paul brings them back to the central message of the gospel and says, this is who Jesus is this is what he did, and this is why we should believe in it. And if we can unify there with good theology, we can tackle a lot together as the church. Good theology will bring unity in the body of Christ. Number two, good theology will bring clarity. Many of you have a hard time understanding why you do what you do, or why you don't do what you want to do, or why you do do what you don't want to do. Good theology will bring clarity to your life in a way that will guide and direct your behavior. But beyond even that, good theology will bring clarity to the church as the right things become the right things. 
mission and vision become clear because we believe in the big picture of who God is and what Jesus did for us. The third thing is the good clarity will bring, good theology will bring hope. Paul references this. He says, there are some people among you that say, let's just live how we want to because we're gonna die anyway. That's not hopeful. There is no hope in that at all. But if you understand God, if you believe the simplicity of the gospel that says that Jesus lived, he died, and he came back, then there's hope. Not just for now, although definitely for now, but for eternity as well. But in the middle of talking about how effective and helpful theology is, I think that it's important that we also talk about what good theology will not bring you, okay? Good theology will not bring you salvation. You cannot think your way to God. You can have theology worked out in a way that you think it all makes sense and it all fits together and everything is great, but if you don't know God, knowing a lot about God is not enough, Scripture says that even the demons understand who Jesus is and they shudder. They have pretty good theology. I don't think they're saved, right? Knowing a lot about God is not enough to save you. The second thing, good theology will not bring obedience in your life. Simply knowing the right things will not change your behavior. It should, it will help but I know a lot of people that claim to be Christians that know a lot of the right stuff and their life does not line up at all with what they say they believe to be true. Okay? Good theology will not make you obedient. It should help, but it will not do it on its own. And the third thing is that good theology will not necessarily bring you peace. I know that seems counterintuitive, but only the Holy Spirit can bring you peace. Believing the right things will not bring you peace. Much on the contrary, while believing the right things may bring you internal peace, it may actually drive you to conflict externally. It may drive you to call out injustice. It may drive you to break with family members. Jesus says in the Gospels that he has come to divide families, not in a, in a negatory like senseless way, but he is coming saying, look, if you live the way I call you to live, there's gonna be a cost. Good theology won't bring you peace. So here's where I wanna land. I wanna unpack this statement a little bit. What is the point of theology? Some people will say, I'm saved, I know Jesus, I'm good. I'll leave that for the scholars, they can figure it out. I'm going to heaven, good enough. Ephesians 4 says uh, that those who don't understand what they believe and have not reached Christian maturity will be tossed around by every wind of teaching. It's this imagery of a boat out in the water with no anchor. The problem is if you don't have good theology, you live in spiritual adolescence. And that's not what God wants from you. Not what God wants for you. Better understanding of God should translate to better 
life lived for God. Theology guides your choices, your decisions, the way that you view the world around you, the way that you live your life well, doing what you think you should do based on who you think Jesus and God are. And so let's land on this statement. I wanna unpack this. Good theology creates grace-filled freedom without compromising hard biblical truth. That is a lot of words, okay? Grace-filled freedom. If you have good theology, if you understand God and believe well about what scripture teaches us about God, your life should be led with grace. The front edge of who you are should be love, not anger, not judgment. Grace, because that is a reflection of who God is. If you have good theology, you will find freedom. You will still be tempted to sin. You will still face the challenges of life, but on a spiritual level, you will find freedom in a way that you no longer wrestle with the challenges of guilt, of judgment, of the past of your life that you have both done and has been done to you. So, good theology, when it's practiced well, in an active relationship with Jesus, should give you grace-filled freedom. But, that doesn't come at the cost of hard biblical truth. Things that the Bible says that are really challenging, like, Love your neighbor, pray for your enemies, bless the people that persecute you, or bigger spiritual theological truths like Jesus is the only way to heaven. Sin has consequences. Those are the truth of Scripture that we can't neglect simply because we want to be grace filled freedom people. Good theology allows us to live in the tension. The tension between head and heart, the tension between spirit and truth. The Bible says that Jesus came full of spirit and truth. We like to camp out on one or the other, which means our theology is wrong because that's not who Jesus is. Spirit and truth. That's what good theology looks like. One final kind of bow to wrap this whole thing is simply this. Good theology is a complement to, not a replacement of the Holy Spirit. You can think the right things, you can believe the right things, you could have the best theology in the world And the Holy Spirit can replace it in an instant and give someone else wisdom that you never have. Good theology is great, but it is not a replacement for the active voice and influence of God in your life. 
It is a complement to that in a way that as you understand what you believe, the Holy Spirit can call upon those things, restore those things to your mind in the right situation and the right time for God's kingdom and God's glory in a way that brings obedience in your life if you will let him. What you believe matters. It matters here, now, in the life of the church. It matters here, now, in the way you interact with the world around that does not believe what you believe. And it matters for eternity. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church Podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.